turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter uh, 15 as we uh, continue our uh, series in the book of Genesis. Uh, we uh, have gotten to this point where uh, we are at this central, quite honestly, chapter, not just in Genesis, but in the whole of Scripture. Uh, there's, there's This passage is foundational to um, much of even what we read in the New Testament. Uh, Genesis chapter 15. Again, if you're able, let me ask that you stand as we read God's Word uh, together. It is admittedly a little long. We're going to read the whole chapter this time. I don't always do that, but this time I'm going to. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a male, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. And we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, mold us, equip us, use us, use this passage to conform us more and more into the image of Christ, for it's in His name that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. So I'll I'll go ahead and tell you um, the outline you have printed in your bulletin, you can virtually just ignore um, you may hear remnants of it, but I wrote it before. I submitted that before I really got to the. Just ignore it. Um, just pretend that doesn't exist. Um, there's a there's a, a scene 
at the end of Harry Potter, um, book seven, it's not in uh, the movies. I'll, I'll be careful. Um, people worried about, wait, 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 is he about to give stuff away? No, there's a scene uh, near the end of book seven, and the movie doesn't do this at all, um, where Harry is making an agreement with a goblin. Okay, that's all you need to know. It, it doesn't matter. If you haven't read it, if you're not going to read it, it doesn't really matter. If you have read it, you totally know where we are, um, and, and that's, that's all fine and good. He, he, he makes this deal with a, a, a goblin. Um, and, and the deal is this. Goblin, if you'll help us do something, um, I will give you a sword in return. And then Harry's mind starts to wander. It starts to kind of, now wait a minute, I might need that sword. I wonder if I can delay, you know, after the goblin helps me do what we need to do. I don't want to give that away. Um, I can still give him the sword after the fact, but it might be a few days, maybe even weeks later. He's looking for ways to um, build in some time lapse between uh, the event the goblin does and then him fulfilling his promise to the goblin. You've experienced this. If you have siblings, you've been through this. An older brother, an older sister, I guarantee you, has said, hey, would you go get blank for me? And when you do, I'll give you some of my candy. And, and they show up, younger sister, younger brother shows up and says, here it is. And they say, well, I may give you the candy tomorrow. I'm not going to do it today. That, technically, that's still after the fact, right? I mean, I didn't lie. Delayed promise fulfillment troubles us. Delayed promise fulfillment is a struggle for us implied in our minds is, you're going to give me that right now. Technically, I guess it is true that if you give it to me tomorrow, that's still after the... I, I guess technically you didn't lie, although it sure sounded... Delayed promise fulfillment is, is a struggle for us. And that's exactly the, the context of this chapter. That's the, the scenario in Genesis 15. God makes promises. In fact, in this, in this chapter, He makes uh, numerous promises. Notice in verse 1, the very first thing God promises to Abram, uh, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. The first thing God promises to Abram is protection. God is His shield. God is, God has been, and God always will be His protection. Now, you may, if, if, if you're just picking up Genesis 15, if you started reading here, if you showed up here at Grace Covenant for the first time and you're thinking, oh, hold on, I, I don't remember chapter 14, you know, can you... Remember where Abram is right now. He just, not being um, an army general, uh, not being a, a man of war himself, he just, with a little over 300 men, defeated a great mighty king and his three or four other kings who were in partnership with him. This, this um, uh, Middle Eastern um, suzerain, Kedorlaomer, um, 
had, had defeated Sodom and had taken Lot, Abram's nephew, and Lot's family hostage. They were prisoners of war. Abram, with a few hundred men, marched off after this great king and defeated him and freed Lot and his family. You can imagine Abram's fear. I mean, obviously he went to battle in hopes of gaining victory. I mean, you go to war, you want to win. You go attack this great and mighty and powerful king, you want to set Lot and his family free. Victory is what you hope for, but the problem is, victory brings a little added danger along with it. You ever, you ever had that feeling? Maybe, maybe you play in with a friend on the playground and you took a jab and, and, and you realize this kid's a lot bigger than I am. Or a younger sibling to an older sibling kind of plays a joke. And then in the back of your mind, you have this sense. I just grabbed a tiger by the tail. I just awakened a sleeping dragon. This, this is not going to turn. It's like one of those things you act and then you sort of go, oh no, what have I done? You have to sense that, that Abram has to be thinking some of that right now. I just freed Lot. That's exactly what I wanted to do. No, I just attacked this great king and freed Lot. I'm in trouble. There has to be some amount of, of fear in the back of his mind. God says, I will be your shield. I am your shield. In fact, for that matter, Abram, I was when you attacked Kedolium. I, I, was, I was your shield there. I was your protection there. And I will be, I am your shield. I will be your protection. I have to point this out. I've done this before and I will do it again. Um, if you're paying attention to the funny font in your Bibles, uh, you'll run across a word and you're like, whoa, 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 hold on. Why is that one in all caps or small caps as the case may be? Notice the word Lord in verse 1. The word God in verse 2 when Abram speaks. That's the way your English Bibles translate God's covenant name, Yahweh. It's that that covenant name by which He introduces Himself to Moses in Exodus 3 from the burning bush. In other words, this isn't the promise of some distant deity who's aloof from his people. But God, who is the sovereign ruler of all of creation, has this covenant relationship with his people. He promises to protect. The, the covenant making sovereign ruler of all of creation has just told Abram, I'm your protection. That should be great comfort and encouragement. To Abram. God promises first protection. Notice he also promises people. Um, your reward shall be very great. Abram, Abram understands that phrase perhaps um, as meaning children. 
Certainly he's been promised descendants three times already. Do this with me. Turn back to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, You probably don't have to turn too many pages. In in my Bible, it's one page. Let's just trace this for just a second. In Genesis 12, verse 2, God calls Abram uh, out of his homeland and he says, I will make you... I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Abram's going to be this great nation. He's going to have children. He's going to have descendants, and they're going to be this great nation. After Abram gets into uh, this new land into Canaan, and he wanders around and checks it out, notice verse 7 of chapter 12. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. There's a promise of descendants, a promise of children. Look again at the end of chapter 13. In chapter 13, Lot and Abram separate. Lot says, hey, there's the good land over there. I'm going there. Abram, good luck. Hope you can make it okay in this uh, not as pretty and, and lush green land. And we get this promise at the end of, of chapter 13 and verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes, look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you, and to your offspring forever. God three times prior to this has promised descendants for Abram. And Abram says, my reward's going to be great. I mean, right now, my heir, I'm going to have to adopt this guy, Eliezer. He's from Damascus. I'm going to have to adopt him and let him inherit all that I have. He's going to be my heir because I don't have children of my own. It's the fourth time now that God has promised descendants to Abram. Abram and Sarah aren't getting any younger. Abram's in his 80s. At this point, their nose. Think of all the all the um, metaphors you can use. What, what are all the little phrases we use? They're not spring chickens anymore. Uh, their clock is ticking. You know all the things you sort of think of as I'm getting older and beyond the age of having kids. Abram's in his 80s. He's sort of at the point now of going. Are you sure I'm going to have a child? You know we're old, right? You you know we're kind of past that? That's way back in our past. He has to have some amount of fear that that maybe, maybe there's some other way. He's wrestling with this delayed fulfillment of God's promise. He's wrestling with, but, but God, I still remain childless. I still... Remain without an heir. I guess, technically, until now, we haven't known for certain that the child would be Abram's descendant. That's been implied, of course. When you and I read chapter 12 and chapter 13, we assume that's what God means. This is the first time he's actually said, no, no, Abram, it's going to be your child. 
kind of makes sense now when you think Sarah going, well, hang on, my name wasn't mentioned. We'll see that be a problem in the next couple of chapters. The promise of, of people, of descendants, is still unfulfilled. And notice, notice the encouragement that God gives to Abram. In chapter 13, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. When you walk outside in the daytime, be reminded this is how many kids you're going to have. Here, it's the stars in the sky. When you walk outside at night, be reminded this is how many kids you're going to have. God promises protection. He promises people. And notice He also promises a place to Abram. Abram's already taken a couple of tours of the land in chapters 12 and 13. Here in verse 7, He reiterates that He's going to give uh, Abram a place to call His own. I've brought you out of your homeland to give you this land to possess. Notice that he's not giving Abram some land, just any old piece of land. I promise I'm going to give you some land somewhere one day. I'm going to give you this land, he says in verse 7. And he gets more specific. He gives boundaries at the end of the chapter, verses 18 to 21. You sort of get the boundary. Oh, it's this land, the land that currently belongs to all these other people. He makes promises to Abram. Promises of protection of people and of a place. Marvin the Martian. The Bugs Bunny Martian walks through my head at that point. Oh, delays, delays. Abram's Abram's worried. There's There's a level of of worry and concern in him that there's this much passage of time and yet he still doesn't have the land and he still doesn't have children. Delayed promise fulfillment is a struggle for us. God keeps reiterating His promises and I guess that's encouragement. That should encourage you and me, but you know deep down we kind of want Him to deliver the goods. Sooner or later, a promise is just still just that. It's a promise of a yet-to-be-fulfilled one-day-in-the-future event. How many times do we, do we look at God and go, are you sure? Are you really? I, I know you said you would, but I still don't see it. I really want to see it. I really kind of need to see it. Abram is wrestling with this delayed promise fulfillment. It's, it's Harry Potter and the goblin again. And, and he's not sure it's going to work. He, 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 I'll give you this when we're done, I promise. And, and he's wrestling... How can I make him think? How can I make him carry out his end of the bargain and still hold on to this object, this sword, longer and give it to him later? And because and, I might need it, and, and he's wrestling. He's not sure it's going to work. 
you're pretty sure it's not going to work. You haven't even read the book, maybe, and, and you're pretty sure it's not going to work. That, that never works. That's not the way it ought to work. Abram's wrestling with delayed promise fulfillment. We aren't technically told why God begins in verse 1 with fear not. It might be, well, to use C.S. Lewis's language, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. It may be that anybody in God's presence, their knees knock and they need to be told, don't be afraid. It may be that Abram's afraid of what this, uh, the revenge of King Kedorlaomer. It's probably a combination of the fact that this king might attack and yet he remains childless. He's got to be wrestling at some level with is God really going to fulfill this promise? Is He really going to accomplish what He said He's going to accomplish? In fact, you sort of see hints of of doubt, complaint. It depends on who you ask as to what level of faith Abraham had at this point. It depends on what level his doubt and concern is at this point. Notice... Verse 1, he, he is afraid. He's afraid perhaps that, that God has not yet fulfilled His promise. And if this king retaliates before I have a child, then there's the end of God's promise. You can see his fear. You can see his concern. God knows his fear. His fear is exposed. And so in verse 3, he finally actually... The first time Abraham ever speaks to God in Genesis... God, you haven't yet. The first words he said. The first words Abraham ever says to God. Behold, you have given me no offspring. Is that how you would boldly, confidently approach God? God comes to you and says, fear not. And the first thing you say is, but you haven't yet. You promised. And I don't see offspring yet. He's in his 80s. He's still childless. The promise that goes all the way back to Genesis 12 still remains unfulfilled. And yet notice how he speaks in verse 2. Yes, he raises some objection, but he does so with humility and submission and respect. Oh, Lord God. Oh, Sovereign Lord, if you're using the NIV, probably the better option. Oh, Adonai Yahweh. It's, it's Lord title, Lord name. It's oh, Sovereign Lord. Yes, he raises some doubt and complaint, but he does so without ever losing sight that he's approaching the sovereign ruler of the universe. You and I read chapter 15. You and I think of Abram as the 
the perfect, the strong, the magnanimous faith, the model of faith. You and I think of him as, well, the guy that quite honestly, we remember this you know, one verse, verse 6, and we think, well, Abram never doubted. Abram never struggled with, well, we've seen it already, and we're going to see it again, quite honestly. Abram, verse 8, wants a sign. How will I know? Parents, next time you promise your children something and they say, how will I know that you're going to fulfill your promise? Here's the answer you have to give. You ready? Bring me a heifer. Is that the weirdest answer ever given to a question? How am I going to know? Bring me a heifer. Well, you, you know what Abram did. You, I mean, you know what God did there. Uh, he cut a covenant with Abraham. And, and verses 9 to 21 basically unpacks, unfolds for us the, uh, the covenant. The standard method, the standard form of entering into any legal contract was to gather witnesses, to collect some animals, cut them in half, pull the halves apart, and make a little pathway. And, and, and you can imagine the blood and the guts and the stomach and the liver lying there in this pathway and the ribs sticking out of, of half of this animal. And there are people standing there watching and you link arms and you walk between these pieces. And as you walk between the pieces, you recite, this is what I promise to do. And all the witnesses here, and this is, this is the promise, this is the promise he's making, the promise he's making, and as they walk through the pieces, there's your legal binding contract. Why the animals? Well, the, the animals say this, if I fail to do what I just promised to do before God and these witnesses right here as we walk through these halves of these animals then let what happened to them happen to me. If I fail to keep my end of this deal, then let what happened to these animals happen to me. That, that's the, the, the way the, the covenant contract played out. And you saw, as we read, um, how the covenant, God's covenant with Abraham, played out. Notice, as God as the smoking fire pot passes through these pieces, God says, verse 13, know for certain. And then He recites, this is what's going to happen. Know, know for certain, this is what's going to happen. And, and slavery in Egypt for 400 years, the, the Passover and deliverance, and they're basically robbing and pillaging Egypt on their way out. It's all right there. Hundreds of years before it happened, it's all right there. And God passes through the pieces. Did you notice Abraham never did? It's a unilateral covenant. God is saying, I'm taking on both parts of this covenant promise. Abraham, you, you stay right there. I'm going to pass alone through these pieces. And if I fail to do what I've promised to do, then let what happened to me, let what happened to these animals happen to me. God just staked His existence on fulfilling this promise to Abraham. How's that for comfort? 
How's that for encouragement? How's that for... Wait a minute, God. Are you really saying if you don't do this, you're going to be cut in half? You end, you cease, you die, that's it? That's exactly the promise He's making to Abraham. Do you struggle trusting God's promises? Do you have those doubts? Do you have those moments where you just think, God, God are, are you really? Are you sure? I don't see it yet. Delayed promise fulfillment is a problem for us. It's a struggle for us. And that's exactly where Abraham is at this point. Be comforted. Abraham himself, great father Abraham, asked for a sign. And God entered into this covenant with him. But notice the most important verse in all of Scripture. Yeah, that's right. I just jumped all the way out there. The most important verse in all of the Bible. Now, I only say that because the New Testament writers unpack this verse more than any other verse in the Old Testament. So it's got to be, it's got to be kind of a big deal, right? I mean, Paul does it in Romans 4 and Galatians 3 and James does it. I mean, this, this comes up over and over again in the New Testament. Abraham isn't saved by his works. Abraham isn't saved by what he does. Abraham isn't saved because he followed God when God called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham isn't saved because he did all the things that God told him to do. He's he's not saved because he kept the law. He's not saved because he performed the ceremonial law perfectly. Ceremonial law is still hundreds of years away. It's still off in his future. We just read that in Galatians 3. Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abram trusted God's promise. He trusted God's word. That's faith. That's, quite honestly, that's probably a good definition of faith. Okay, you you could use... Hebrews 11, assurance of things not seen, convictions of, of things hoped for. You could use Michael cards to hear with my heart, to see with my soul, to be guided by a hand I cannot hold. That's what faith must be. Quite honestly, taking God at His word. That's faith. That's, that's what faith is. Abram's saved because he trusts God's promise. But notice this. It isn't the strength of his faith that saves him. It's the strength of the one in whom his faith is that saves him. Don't miss that. It's not the strength of Abraham's faith. Abraham isn't saved because he had perfectly strong, never wavering, never shaking in any way, shape, or form faith. 
He's not saved because he has some nebulous idea of faith, but even though we don't really know what it is, but it's something we call faith because it's, we don't really know what it is, just generic nebulous thing. And he's saved because of the strength of the God who made the promises. The strength of his faith doesn't save him. The object of his faith saves him. Let me make several applications from this passage. More than I normally make, so bear with me. First, God is your shield. God is your protection. You go out into a world that quite honestly is opposed to you, it's opposed to Christ, it's opposed to the gospel. Why do you do it? Because God is your shield. Because God is your protection. Children, when you have bad, scary dreams at night, when you go to bed and you're afraid that there are monsters in your closet, remember, God is your shield. God is your protector. He promised Abram to be his protection. He promises the same to us. Second, delayed fulfillment doesn't mean that God's not at work. Delayed promise fulfillment does not mean that God has stopped, that He's given up. Just because God's not at work in your time doesn't mean He's not at work. Parallel to that, third, wickedness doesn't mean that God's not at work. Did you notice, Probably we had probably the most important verse of the Bible, and maybe even one of the strangest verses in the Bible, in the same chapter. Did you notice verse 16? They shall come back in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Um. Abram, there's this, there's this group in the promised land. They're there right now. The, the Amorites. One of the groups of people over there. And they're wicked. They're really bad, wicked people. And I'm going to pour out my judgment on them and punish them for their wickedness. But it's not time yet. We need to have more wickedness build up. That makes zero sense to you and me. God says, look, delayed fulfillment, and even for that matter, the presence of evil and wickedness in the world doesn't mean that God's not paying attention. He's using this as, as evidence for His, I mean, as to, to glorify His own uh, judgment, Himself in pouring out wrath and judgment on the wicked. Fourth application Did you notice that at every stage, at every point, at every turn, in every aspect of the relationship between God and Abraham, God initiates. Abram never once initiates the relationship with God. Every single time, God comes to him. The word of the Lord came to Abram. Not, and Abram came to God to hear what God would say. God initiates. God comes to Abram. God speaks to Abram. God makes the covenant. Only God passed through the pieces. That's true for us. At every turn in our relationship, God initiates with us. A fifth application. Um, God has fulfilled this promise. You're here. That's what the New Testament writers say. 
Paul says in Romans, I mean, the fact that Gentiles are grafted in at all, the fact that we can be saved by grace through faith is evidence that God is fulfilling this promise. This isn't a promise just for nation Israel. This is a promise for all who believe in Christ by faith. We are His descendants. We are His children. You and I are a fulfillment of this passage as His offspring, as His descendants. That means, sixth, you're saved the same way Abraham was. You're saved by faith alone. I realize we just did this when November, I guess October, November, we unpacked the five solas of the Reformation. One of them was you know, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, according you know, God's glory alone. You're saved by faith alone, not by the things you do, not by your obedience, not by your goodness. What are you trusting in? Where's your hope? What are you actually holding on to that you would look at God and say, "But you know, God, I'm not as bad as the people at the other end of this row. I'm not as bad as my neighbor." I'm not as bad as that guy up there in front. I'm a whole lot better than they are. So surely you're going to grade on a curve and I should be okay. We're saved by faith alone. This passage calls you to trust in Christ and Him alone for your salvation. That is your only hope of deliverance. Lastly, just this idea of covenant is the overarching theme of the Bible. If you want to understand your Bible, you understand first this concept of of a covenant. Because all Scripture is, is the unfolding of God's covenant promises to His people for all eternity. It's the overarching meta-narrative of Scripture. The key to, to unlocking and understanding God's Word. Understand this idea of covenant. And you understand exactly all that Scripture unfolds for us. Let's pray together. Our great God and our King, we thank You for this evidence of Your condescension of You stooping down to us to enter into a covenant with us. That distance between You and us being so great that You have to come to us. Father, we thank You that in Christ You have done just that. We thank You too that He was cut, bled, suffered and died, not because God failed to accomplish His end of the bargain, but but to pay the penalty for our end.